You've landed on the Lonely Diplomat podcast, and wherever you are in the world, from Cairo to Copenhagen, to Caracas, to Kona Cree, to Kizinau, to Colombo, and even in Canberra, and all places in between, welcome. I'm Phil McAuliffe, and I'm the Lonely Diplomat. I write a blog over on thelonelydiplomat.com that aims to help diplomats and those living the diplomatic life to reconnect with themselves and the world around them. Now, as I said, I have a blog and I also have this podcast uh, and I have an extensive social media presence on Facebook, LinkedIn and Instagram. And I also have a place on my website called The Lounge, which is a place for diplomats and those living the diplomatic life to come, get support, be supported from myself and other diplomats and those living the diplomatic life. Come and get support from people who understand. And you can do it anonymously. Because I don't care what you do for work, I don't care where you do it or for whom you do it, I care about you. In this episode of the Lonely Diplomat podcast, we'll be revisiting a blog post that I wrote in September 2018 called The Price of Being a Diplomat. Now, this post really resonated with so many readers around the world. And I received so many responses from readers saying, oh my, this is, you know, exactly what has been going on in my head for the last few years, but haven't quite been able to articulate it. That's really good feedback. I love getting that feedback. The post focuses on how we all all of us, all diplomats and those living the diplomatic life pay a price for living this life. Now, by no means am I focusing on the financial cost. Rather, I'm talking specifically about the physical, mental and emotional cost of being a diplomat and living this diplomatic life. Did you notice that I said physical, mental, and emotional. That emphasis on the word and was very deliberate because it's not a physical, mental, or emotional cost. This diplomatic life, I strongly feel, costs us physically, mentally, and emotionally. And at some point in our lives, during our career, we are confronted with the inevitable realization that the life that we are leading, flitting and spinning all around the world, going from posting to posting to posting to posting, bouncing in and out of, of, of cities uh, where we've created a life after two, three, four, five years, doing that potentially for decades at a time, we all come to a realization that this exotic, amazing, fantastic job that we have comes at a real cost. So today, in this episode, we'll be having a kind and honest conversation with ourselves about the cost, the price of being a diplomat and living 
a diplomatic life. So let's look deeper at the price of being a diplomat. Now, I'm going to be honest with you here, listener. This is my third attempt at recording this podcast. The previous two attempts were okay. You know, I, I, I have high standards. Um, but they didn't really quite sit well within me because they didn't really hit the mark. And then I left this small study in this small house, in this small city at the end of the world last night. And after, you know, a few minutes and, and, and processing, letting my subconscious process, it came roaring back to me the idea of addressing this issue and answering the question of, of the price of being a diplomat through using my five central themes. And I'll, I'll do that now. And for those of you who aren't aware, my five central themes are diplomacy. And, and by central themes, before I launch into them, they are what I cover in each of my blog posts. Uh, and in all of my work revolves around these five central themes. And they are first one, I kind of gave that away, diplomacy. And that is focused on what is a diplomat? What is diplomacy? What do we do and how do we do it? The second one is competition because getting into diplomacy and getting promotions, postings and other opportunities to demonstrate our awesomeness and, and, and show our awesomeness off to the world it's really competitive. It's, it's ultra competitive. The third one is resilience. And that kind of hangs off um, competition because resilience, I strongly feel, has been hijacked. The definition of resilience has been hijacked within our organizational cultures and actually is almost the opposite of what psychological resilience actually means. The next one is loneliness and the cost of this diplomatic life um, and how we can feel socially disconnected, disconnected. And remember, disconnection is kind of code for loneliness, um, that we can feel that, acutely feel that sense of disconnection from ourselves, from those around us and where we are in the world sooner or later. And the opposite, or the, the, the solution, I should say, to loneliness is connection and looking at connection to ourselves, to others, and the and where we are in the world, the community, the country, the organizations in which we work, feeling connected to that. So we're going to dive in through each of these five themes and look at the price of being a diplomat and living this diplomatic life using those five central themes as the lens. All right, you ready? You, have you got yourself a, a nice warm beverage if you're in the Southern Hemisphere here where it's winter or you know a nice cooling beverage if, if you're in the Northern Hemisphere and suffering through some heat? In either way, in either case, let's make yourself comfortable because we're going to dive into each of these now over the next few minutes. So looking at diplomacy, and the price of being a diplomat and living this diplomatic life. I want to say that one of the greatest thrills professionally and probably personally 
is the thrill of being in the room when something amazing happens. Now, that could be anything from heads of state meeting where things happen during a summit or trade negotiations are finalized or indeed a peace accord is signed. Something just magical happens when we're involved in something on that scale or indeed when two organizations from different countries come together and create something that wasn't that hasn't been created before and agree to to work together that is undeniably a thrill being in the room when something happens it's also let's face it a thrill to be in the know when we are included in important discussions affecting our country our government and our relationship with the world. We love being in the know and we kind of feel very special, don't we? Kind of, you know, feel like we operate on a different plane because we are trusted by our governments to know this special information. But apart from that, let's just get honest for a moment. Our work is, more often than not, like any other office job anywhere in the world. We deal with an enormous number of emails. We write them, we read them, we delete them, um, process them, of course, only after you've read them properly, right? Then there's the cables and then there's the meeting summaries and then there's you know, the, the meetings themselves, teleconferences, the video conferences, the sitting around the table conferences, the office politics, the, you know, because whenever you get a, a group of people working together in whatever field, I'm firmly convinced that office politics quickly dominates our days and negotiating the, the thorny world of office politics that applies to us as well. Indeed, we've got office politics in our missions. We've got them within our organisations. We've got them within our own government bureaucracy and other government bureaucracies. We're awesome. We're experts at negotiating these kind of office politics. And it doesn't make it any less tiring, right? Because we want to work on things that thrill us the being in the room, being in the know, and whatever it is for you that thrills you about this job. But we can feel weighed down by the pettiness of office politics. Finally, I want to talk about the burden of expectations under diplomacy. Because we diplomats are highly skilled. We're smart, we're intelligent, we're, we've got generally, I think we can all think of ex exceptions here, generally got very high emotional intelligence and we are adept at working with people to achieve an outcome. In doing our job, though, we can feel that we must become almost superhuman. Now, this point touches on a couple of different um, points and, and central themes, but in order to do this amazing job, we, mere mortal humans um, who are subject to the 
human condition, just like everyone else, feel that we have to suit up, we have to wear masks, we have to be someone or be something that we feel others expect of us. Now, that kind of goes to some of the thrill. This is like, yes, I can put on a snappy suit and make a nice presentation in front of a whole lot of people. But those masks that we wear can come or do come at a cost to ourselves. And I'll get into that a little later. In, ter in terms of competition now, we bust our guts at, at school, at university, in early careers to get into the world of diplomacy. And once we're in an organisation that sends us overseas to represent our countries as diplomats, the competition intensifies, if anything. And the competition for promotions, for opportunities, as I say, to showcase our awesomeness to the people who make the decisions on promotions and postings and opportunities is relentless. We just are like hamsters in a wheel, always running fast, 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 fast for what's next. In order to cope with that, we use our masks because if we project an air of calm and competence and endless friendliness and just being able to get things done with the minimum of fuss. Meanwhile, we're, we're stressed inside. This is the competitive environment that we work in where we feel that we do have to wear masks. And those masks, as we will see, are incredibly dangerous. We still wear these incredibly dangerous masks when we want to show how resilient we are. We wear these masks of being able to endure so much stress and so much work because we fear, absolutely fear, taking the mask off and speaking up. We fear speaking up within our workplaces, saying that we're not coping with sometimes uh, like unimaginable amounts of stress. We fear that by saying that we aren't coping, that we will not be found resilient enough for promotions, for further postings or for opportunities. We fear that in speaking up in social situations that we will be labelled complaining, complainers, whingers, whiners, people who, you know, just don't know how good they've got it. So we simply shut up. We endure. We cope. But as I've written in previous blog posts, that comes at a significant cost. Indeed, this is the topic of a conversation that I had with my friend Alison Earle on stress in a previous podcast episode. Simply, resilience has been altered. The definition has been altered indeed. It has been weaponized by some in our organizations, in our employing organizations, because if we do speak up, we can be silenced shamed immediately by someone saying very quickly and kind of snippily, oh, aren't you resilient enough? 
I'll be exploring this some more in further podcast episodes, but I'm sure that this point resonates with many diplomats and those living the diplomatic life. We endure so much. And when we feel that we are, when we do endure so much and and just have so much work on us and doing it in a place that is stressful, away from home, away from our support structures, we can feel that we are alone, that we are the only person ever in the history of the world who has thought and felt these feelings of stress, of trying to maintain the appearance, trying to do the work that our masks demand of us. And that work, that effort, and the feeling that we are the only one ever doing that all that work, trying to keep up and trying to keep up appearances, can have us actually feeling lonely. We can feel, and this was certainly in my case, where my masks of bonhomie and absolute competence became what I felt the people in my life were, how they would relate to me. They related to the mask, not to me. Not to me, who was sometimes filled with absolute uh, crippling doses of of self-doubt and feeling every bit the imposter, every bit the incompetent, just kind of stumbling through my career and through life just by happy accident or because people took pity on me. That fear of the world relating to the mask rather than to me was, in a nutshell, the essence of my loneliness. And the thought, I wanted to say fact there, but the thought that I was the only person to ever, ever think and feel, think the thoughts and feel the feelings, and everyone everyone around me was, you know, endlessly competent and had their had their lives together in this kind of perfect way that I was the only fraud. That was the source of my loneliness. And you might not recognize that as loneliness. You might just say, yep, Phil, that's, let's move on because I'm not lonely. But I want, to, I want you to pause a moment. And if you press pause, quite literally, I'll be still here when you press play. But I want you to think about how you interact with the world through work, socially, and within your community, and how you relate to yourself, like your true self. Because I feel that a great number of us are indeed lonely, but we just don't, can't quite put our finger on the feelings, but loneliness can explain how we feel and the and 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 thinking how we're thinking so press pause now have a bit of a have a bit of a think and i promise you i'll be right here when you press play okay if you've just pressed play welcome back if you haven't just pressed play uh, and you just sat through two seconds of silence um you can press pause at any time and I promise you I'll still be here because we're going to get into the last the last central theme, which is on connection. And 
this connection is all about connection to ourselves, our family and friends, to our colleagues, to our communities where we live, because this diplomatic life comes at a significant physical, mental and emotional cost that can lead us to feel disconnected from ourselves, family and friends, and from where we are in the world. Without doubt, this diplomatic life is amazing. Absolutely amazing. It's got to have been amazing if my family and I keep doing this. The thrill of exploration, the privilege of actually becoming part of a completely new community over the term of a posting is always what keeps us coming back. But through my second posting and our third, I realized that the work wasn't quite sustaining me in the way that it had. And indeed, the work wasn't thrilling me as much. And I knew that I needed to do something about it. I did something about it. The work then became something that was deeply meaningful for me. But I connected back to myself. I took the masks off. Then I reached out to the people, most important people in my life and re-established connection because I had missed, we had missed the weddings, the funerals, the births, the milestone events that mark a relationship within families, that mark relationships with close friends. We'd missed all of that. And I was, going to be honest, really resentful and quite torn. I resented on one hand that my life, that our life, that my job was taking me away from all my friends and family back in Australia. But then I also felt quite torn because I loved doing what I did, what I do, and where I was doing it. And that that fundamental tension, and if you were sitting here right now, you would see my hands moving like a scale. <laughs> that fundamental tension is hard. And I knew that this diplomatic life, this job, and where I was doing this job was coming at a significant cost. I was disappointed that something that I worked towards really hard for so much of my life at school, at university, and within my employing organization, no longer satisfied me. I was finding that it was harder to focus on the positives, and I could see more and more and more of the negatives. And those negatives began not necessarily to consume me, but became more prevalent in my thoughts. And it became, as I said, harder to focus on the positives. Now, I got help, and I've talked about how I got help through an awesome coach, um, Mike Campbell, with whom I had a great discussion on a previous podcast episode on the power of the stories that we tell ourselves. And through Mike's work and my work with Mike, I reconnected importantly to myself. 
to my values, to what I knew to be true to myself. And then I imposed that on the world around me. I imposed that on me. I imposed that at work and how I related to my work and the people at the office. I began also to see that all of us, all of us, were paying a price for being a diplomat and living this diplomatic life. And so in terms of the physical cost, physically being away from home while at once thrilling, it can be when times are tough, so hard to be so far away, to feel so far away from home. And social media is fantastic as we've explored in another podcast episode. Social media is fantastic at helping us feel more connected to those in our lives. But still, that physical distance can be so difficult at times. We also pay a mental and an emotional cost for being diplomats and living this diplomatic life. By always being on, by always having to have the mask on and or feeling that we need to always, always be at our best. It is exhausting and it is fundamentally dangerous. And our organizational cultures are built on a whole lot of people essentially projecting perfection into the world. And we are comparing other people's projections with our own thoughts and feelings. This is the price of diplomacy. This is the price of being a diplomat. This is the price of being, of living this diplomatic life. I want to talk briefly about something that I raised earlier in this episode about complaining, about whinging, about whining. This is a really sensitive topic for diplomats because it simply doesn't do to be perceived by those within diplomacy or outside of diplomacy to be complaining about diplomacy. We we fear the judgment, we fear the comments. And indeed, as someone who writes publicly on this, I get the comments of, well, shut, shut up, Phil, you know, you're just a whinger. And they're almost proving my point. We fear speaking up and saying that things aren't okay. I want to say one thing on this, though. Complaining, whining, whinging is important. It is an invitation to us to ask ourselves why and get curious. Why is something that may, just a few weeks ago or a few months ago, completely not affected us at all, why is it affecting us now? Why is it bringing out this response in us? It is an invitation to explore why, to dig, to find out why that is pressing the buttons. I don't have time and cannot, frankly, abide people complaining as a conversation starter, complaining about, complaining multiple times on the same thing. It is evidence that you are stuck in a loop and no amount of exploration or questioning or 
being curious about why is going to rescue you from that loop. Only you can rescue you yourself from that loop. And if you find that in considering the price, the physical, mental, and emotional price that you are paying for being a diplomat, that you are paying for this diplomatic life, is coming at such a cost that you could no longer feel that you can afford to keep paying it, I invite you to have a kind and honest but fundamentally important conversation with yourself and those with you about your ability to continue doing this life. Perhaps some tough love there, but complaining is an opportunity to explore. It can actually be constructive. It is constructive. But if you do find yourself complaining and complaining and complaining on the same point, perhaps to the same people or at every every opportunity, it's perhaps an invitation to yourself to talk and to think about whether continuing to live this diplomatic life, continuing to have this job is something for you. Finally, beyond talking about complaining and whinging and whining, we need to acknowledge that we all pay a price for living this diplomatic life and being a diplomat. We need to give ourselves permission to say and experience and feel that this life is allowed to suck sometimes. We can feel so guilty And be worse, be made to feel guilty when we say that this life, this amazing life, sucks sometimes. But it's allowed to suck. Beyond acknowledging the price that you are paying, the mental, physical and emotional price that you are paying for being a diplomat or or living the diplomatic life, I invite you to begin to have kind and honest conversations primarily and most importantly with yourself and with those around you who are living and and are along for the ride. You need to have continued kind and honest conversations about the price you are paying for living this life and if you are prepared to continue to pay the price and if you need help and support. Because if you do need help and support, there is no shame in that. There are support structures around you and you can seek help and support from a professional, from your friends and people who you know are always on call to listen to you with empathy and without judgment and frankly can call you on your bullshit. There's also, as I said at the beginning of this podcast, a place that I have created on my website called The Lounge. And it is a place exclusively for diplomats and those living the diplomatic life to come get support, be support, to ask questions, to answer questions from from others in a way that is kind, honest, supportive from other people who get it. You can engage in the lounge anonymously because again I don't care where you do your work for whom you do it or what you do I care about you and want you to be supported so you can go and be the best diplomat because if 
the world needs anything right now. It's people who are performing and thinking and feeling at their best. That's all I wanted to say in this episode. Now, we did cover a lot of ground, let's be honest. So you might want to revisit this or if you by, by re-listening, or if you want to ask me a question or send me some feedback, please feel free to send me an email to admin at thelonelydiplomat.com. If you like my work, please give it a rating on the service through which you're listening now. If you like my work, please tell a friend. And if you think I can improve my work, please tell me. The best form of advertising is a share on social media. So if this episode has resonated with you, if my blog post has resonated with you, please feel free to share it on social media. Word of mouth is the best advertising. If this episode has resonated with you and you want to help me continue to grow my work, please consider giving me some financial support, either through a one-off contribution or a monthly contribution. If this is something that you would like to do, and I really would like you to consider doing that, please go to thelonelydiplomat.com forward slash support to learn more about how you can support me financially. It does sound like you're getting ready to go. So until next time, be awesomely, humanly you, because the world needs more you. All views expressed in this episode are my own, and all sounds are freeware in the public domain. Thanks for listening.